Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship this morning. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us, and we'd love to have a record of your attendance, whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, or someone that worships here on a regular basis. We ask that you grab that pew pad at the end of the aisle and pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. Hopefully you've had a chance to look through the bulletin this morning. I just want to highlight a few things for you today immediately following worship before the mission committee meeting. Uh, we're going to have anybody that, have you heard about the Israel trip that you have uh, the ability to go on this year? Yes. Hopefully. If you have, great. If not, uh, you want to learn more about that, we're going to be, I'm taking a trip with one of my friends uh, from Philadelphia. Um, we're going to go to Israel in February and we'd love for you to go with us. It's an op awesome opportunity to go to the Holy Land. And so we're going to talk about that immediately following worship today. Also today at five o'clock is the last of the concerts that benefit the Jericho House. It's going to be at First Baptist uh, down here in St. Albans. And so that's at five o'clock today if you're able to attend that so far. Uh, they've been able to raise around $2,000 for Jericho House to get them back uh, on their feet. So this is the last opportunity for us to, to help them out. If you uh, like gospel music, that'd be a great place for you to go this afternoon. Also, the contribution statements through the end of the third quarter are available out here in the hallway. And if you have a chance to pick those up just to see where you are and you're giving this year, that would be great as well. And also anyone that's interested in going to the retreat uh, this coming weekend, um, we've not really publicized it much. We don't know who wants to go, if anybody wants to go, but if you would like more information, please contact me about that as well. And lastly, on October 26th, we're gonna have a nice little Halloween party here at the church. So we hope that you'll plan to be with us on Wednesday evening, the 26th. You can wear your costumes. Uh, we're gonna visit a, a cemetery. Holly's gonna take the older youth and the adults to a cemetery or any of the adults that want to go. Uh, the little children are going to stay here and play a few games together as well. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
Please join me in the call to worship that's printed in your bulletin from Psalms 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Come, let us worship the triune God. Now let us stand and prepare to sing our opening hymn, number 175, Seek Ye First. confession today comes from the second Helvetic confession. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. We can get caught up in selfish pursuits and completely overlook the wonders of your creation, O God. All around us are majestic reminders of the beauty you offer to us, but we are weak and easily trapped into attitudes of indifference or destructive behavior. You have not given this world to us that we should destroy it, but rather we should cherish it and make sure that all receive from its bounty. Forgive our greed and selfishness. Help us to let go of the petty desires for wealth, position, and power, and bring us into a ministry which proclaims your love and justice for all your people. These things we pray in the name of the Master Servant, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from our Old Testament. See, I have set you your sins as far as the east as from the west, that your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news in Christ's coming is that he has separated us from our sin, that our old life is gone, and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven, and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. lesson today comes from the book of Genesis chapter 32 verses 22 through 31. Listen for the word of God. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you, for you have struck striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. The sun rose again, rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord.
may be seated. And at this time, I invite the children to come forward for a children's sermon and a special minute for ministry. <clears throat> collecting blankets for the houseless people in St. Albans because they could be very cold at night. Thank you. The, the kids are going to be collecting blankets throughout the, um, throughout the next month, so if you have any new or gently used blankets, please feel free to bring them in. So I have a question. <clears throat> I'm sure that none of you do this, but I'm just going to check to make sure. <clears throat> like, how many of you have ever asked mom and dad for something and their first answer is no? Okay, now, I'm certain that you stop asking as soon as they say no. Is that correct? No. What do you do? What do you do? You just do it anyway. You, okay, so you know you're not supposed to, but you do it anyway. What do you do? You beg. How does that sound? What does it sound like for you to beg? Speak it louder. I can't hear you. Beg like you're begging me for something. Please. Keep going. Please, please. How many times do you think you ask? A million. A million. So you're at 3,000. You're at a million. Okay. How many times? You just go ahead and do it anyway. You don't care one way or the other. No. Okay. So <clears throat> is that, does that ever annoy your parents? It doesn't annoy your parents? No. Okay. Of course not. Yes. They don't know. You, like I said, you, that's we're on a different plane with you. Okay, we have that's a different conversation. We'll have that later. Okay, <clears throat> so so you keep begging until they finally relent and get you. What are the things that you ask for the most? A puppy? No. A bird. Okay, a bird. What do you ask for the most, Olivia? Toys. Okay. In my house, it's it's usually candy. Right when we go to the store, and I will even say before we go to the store, we are not buying candy today. Say it with me, and my children, or one child in particular, says, we are not buying candy. And then what happens? Guess what happens when we go to the store? She annoys the bejesus out of me to the point that I buy candy, right? Okay, now, the, now so... Do you think that makes your parents happy when you do those kinds of things? You think it does. You think it's all fun, right? <clears throat> well, the story that I'm going to read in just a second is about a lady back in Jesus' time. She was a widow, and she went to a judge, and she, she really shouldn't have been talking to him because back then, girls weren't supposed to talk to boys in public, okay? You're only supposed to talk to, like, your husband or your brother or your son, okay? So that was the first kind of weird, strange thing. I know that's strange for us to hear today, but that's what it was like back then. 
And so she just kept asking this judge, please help, please help, please help. But he was not a very good judge. But the Bible says that eventually, eventually he just got so tired of listening to this woman that he went ahead and did what she was asking for. And Jesus said, think about it this way. If, if a, an evil, bad judge does what you ask for, how much more will your Father in heaven who loves you and wants you to do well, how much more generous do you think he would be? So what's that word generous mean? Do you know what it means to be generous? Very kind, okay, and maybe even giving, right? So we just ask the church to be generous. How do we ask the church to be generous? We asked to what, Bubby? We just okay, but what did we just ask the church to do? What did we just... The people that don't have homes to bring blankets, right? So we're asking for all of us here today to be generous, to use our generosity to bring a blanket for people that don't have a home, right? Not just, they may not even have a blanket, but they certainly don't have a home, and so a blanket is very important to keep them warm. So one of the things that God tells us is, God loves us so much that we should just keep having conversations with God and asking God to help us, and eventually, we'll figure out what God's plan is for our life, okay? So let's pray. Let's thank God for parents, and let's thank God for God's generosity, and let's ask God to help us, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you, and we're so glad that our parents tend to give us things we ask for. Please help us not to be greedy, but to be generous, and to give to others who are in need. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down.
invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. We're going to read the first uh, eight verses here. You can certainly follow along in the bulletin or one of the pew Bibles as well. Hear God's holy word. Then Jesus told those gathered a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but for a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what, what the unjust judge says. And will God not grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we do thank you for your story. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you interact with us in the form of story. Holy God, we ask that you would open our minds today, that we may see how your spirit is guiding us this day. We say this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Is anyone familiar with the book, Eat, Pray, Love? It was on the bestsellers list for 187 consecutive weeks. So I think you probably heard about it. It was a while ago. In fact, there was even a movie made about it in 2010. Uh, suffice to say, you've had plenty of time to have read that book or to have watched that movie. So I might spoil some things. Um, but I, I want to let you kind of know what that book's about. First, it's about eating. That's the first subject matter of the book. As silly as it may sound, uh, there's a very distinct section of the story that that this lady is a recently divorced woman, and she's seeking to find herself, and she describes rediscovering her appetite for life. And she goes someplace where she could marvel at something. And so the story breaks down as three segments of a year where she marveled about food, about meditation, and about love. The author would argue it is necessary to escape in order to indulge these quests, which is exactly what she did. In so many ways, there was a sense of loneliness, a sense of deprivation, to the point that escape was the only option. She had a change of pace, she had a change of scenery, and she found a source of hope. Now, it's possible to argue that all of humanity needs to escape at some point in time. In fact, I would argue that if you haven't gone away and, and had a reset, maybe it's time for you to think about trying to do that, even just for a few days. Just go somewhere, get a change of pace, and then come back. It doesn't have to always be extravagant, but for this woman, it specifically was. The parable of our election today concerning the widow, I think, is a different source, a different sense even, of loneliness and a need for escape. Um, yet in so many ways, it also kind of reminded me of the way that this, this woman author wrote this book as well. I, I think it's strange to kind of look at the gospel text and see that Jesus is teaching prayer 
as a form of nagging. Um, that's an interesting word to use, but most of us, I think, in our Western Christian background, um, we're pretty used to getting our problems fixed quickly, right? I mean, how many of you like to wait for your problem to get fixed? Any of you enjoy the waiting part of prayer requests right now? Um, and so sometimes we want to pray because we have an immediate need, but that's not necessarily theologically what God teaches us about how prayer works. And that's certainly not how Jesus understood prayer. We can take a look at the example Jesus gave us in the prayer uh, that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet your will be done, not mine. Right? So he knew what was coming. Uh, he prayed for it to be different in any way, shape, or form, yet he ended his prayer with, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus has been speaking about suffering and confusion um, and about how that kind of takes a lifetime of, of chance in the mind of a prayer, prayer. So when we come to prayer, we're coming to this notion of God, your will, but also here is the thing that I need. And this story is almost, I think, inaccessible to us as we read it. It's it's a challenge. I, ch I, I was struggling all day yesterday. How do I teach the kids the same lesson that I'm going to teach you? How do, I, how do I break this down? Because I think it's a really complex story. I don't know that I did it well <laughs> with the kids, but we'll, we'll find out uh, later in life. If they keep praying and nagging, we'll, if they never change, right? If they just keep saying, please, God, please, 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 God, please. We can't comprehend what it's like to be a widow in the first century. And so it's difficult for any of us to be in her shoes in this parable. The irony of the story is that this widow has zero rights. She doesn't have access to a judge in a formal procedure of law. She's literally crying out for justice and in fact this parable is more of a parody. Women's behavior was extremely limited in ancient times. Um, many of us who over the last 10 or so years have seen how women struggle in a country like Afghanistan, um, if you are upset at how women are oppressed in that country, um, that's essentially the same level of suffering women would have had in the first century. Unmarried women were not allowed to leave the home. Uh, unless they were accompanied by a male member of their house. Married women were not allowed to leave the home unless their husband was with them. They were normally restricted to roles of little or no authority. Now, that being said, I want to step aside. They were also majestic managers of the home. So one of the things that had to happen in the life of a woman in the first century, her responsibility was to manage uh, finances and the structure of how that home worked and so for instance she would be expected to make bread at least probably at least once a day um, maybe two times a day and in order for her to be able to make at least one loaf of bread she had to spend two to three hours milling the grain into flour and so oftentimes the women of a certain neighborhood would come together and they would mill together and so if you heard somebody ever use the expression, they're milling around, that's kind of the idea of how that came to pass. They're milling around, they would sing, 
they would talk, they would maybe even express uh, struggles that they were experiencing, but they were in someone's home. They could not testify in court. They were not allowed to talk to strangers. They had to be doubly veiled when they left their homes. So as a woman with no man to speak for her, she would have literally been walled behind her veil. Now this isn't, you, you can't use a broad brush to say that this is how all women in the first century were treated. We know, for instance, that Roman women and Greek women and Egyptian women um, were able to own property. They were able to like gather wealth. And many of the Jewish people of the day, especially those that lived closer to the Decapolis, were a little bit more lenient with the way that their women um, acted in public, if you would say. So we're not really sure exactly where this took place. Suffice it to say, it was in a, it was in a space where there was a judge, and the woman who had this challenge um, literally had no one to speak for her. So if you can't testify in court, you can't give witness, you can't really go out without a male escort, that's going to be a problem. Okay? So, yes, there is still oppression of women in all kinds of places in the world, but in the first century, like, the hardest day that you may live as a female in the 21st century pales in comparison to how you were treated in the first century. Okay? She's effectively silenced. The very setup of this story is Jesus saying this would have been this would have been like, if a woman is able to convince a man to do something in this scenario, the man would have really looked, been looked down upon. And so she comes to pass, this, this judge, we don't know how she speaks to him, we don't know if she parked herself as a beggar on his way uh, to hear the, the, the court proceedings, we don't know exactly how this happened, but she just, she just kept asking. The cries of the woman eventually sway the cold heart of the judge, and he gives in and gives her her request. And I think a mistake that many people make is to, to miss the ironic subtlety of Jesus. I don't think, I really don't think what Jesus is saying here is be persistent in your prayer. I don't think this is uh, Jesus saying that we should all badger God with our to-do lists. So I don't want us to mistake this example to be a sermon about prayer without ceasing. Yes, should we pray without ceasing? Yes. Should our whole life be about prayer? Yes. But I, I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. What I think I hear Jesus saying is if a hard-hearted judge, an earthly, non-godly judge can be moved to act, how much more will your holy parent be willing to always help a child in need? And, and if I stop there and we collect the offering and go home, you'll be happy. You'll be the first ones in line at the restaurant, right? That could be the end of the sermon. Are we okay with that? I think there's more. The parable ends with a, a challenge. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Eh. Faith and badgering prayer. Where, where do we tie these things together? Why should the Son of Man not find faith on earth? 
Perhaps there is doubt in Jesus' question because it's very difficult to keep praying and trust to a loving parent when every circumstance in life is saying, I'm having a horrific experience right now. How do we keep trusting for justice or liberation, wholeness or cure when there's no obvious way out? I think this is where the widow becomes our teacher. The widow had no rights. She could have been in significant trouble for approaching a man, much less a man in a position of authority. Yet she kept on trusting, despite all evidence to the contrary, that this judge would ever give her anything that she asked for. She just kept doing it. There's a story I once heard about a man who was a monk who woke up one day and suddenly decided, I'm not going to be a monk anymore. And he left the monastery walls. He left his cloistered robe behind. And later he wrote a letter to his friends and said, I am living my new life, but I have realized that this is not it. Now that's a strange that's a strange letter to send to friends. I'm living my new life, but this is not it. I would hope that those friends at that monastery would write back and say, yes, this is it. This is, this is life. It doesn't matter where you live or what circumstances you find yourselves in. And it doesn't matter what troubles you leave behind. Life is life. The things that you struggle with in a cloistered environment, you're going to struggle with in an open environment. The things you struggle with in an open environment, you're going to struggle with in a closed or cloistered environment. Christianity, Judaism really don't have a word to describe that, so we're going to borrow something this morning from Buddhism. Buddhism calls this struggle the dukkha. And it's a difficult word to translate, but it's a concept that points to the suffering and stress of life. This is what Buddhist scriptures say. Birth is dukkha. Aging is dukkha. Death is dukkha. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair are dukkha. Association with the unbeloved is dukkha. Separation from the loved is dukkha. Not getting what is wanted is dukkha. The honesty of what the Buddhists believe is that life is dukkha. And dukkha is some sort of suffering. And no matter the position you find yourself in life, dukkha is a truth that spans all noble truths. In fact, this is their first noble truth. And Jesus, I think, is honest with his hearers. And he says, the suffering of this woman is suffering that we can't, we can't comprehend. The quick fix, the romantic utopian obsession of our culture will always be tempted to expect our relationships with God to be fulfilling, successful, and always have positive outcomes. Christian friends, brothers and sisters, how many of you has your life been perfect since you became a follower of Christ? Does Christ fix everything? Perhaps we do have dukkha. 
my relationship with my children, my relationships with my, my family, it's, it's not always rewarding and fruitful. To be a parent sometimes means having to be the bad guy, right? That's an unfortunate part of it. I'd love to always be my children's friend. Sometimes Jamie accuses me of always being my children's friend, right? But that's not, that's not how I'm supposed to raise my children. I'm supposed to say there, there's a, sometimes there are consequences to things that happen in life. Sometimes the answer has to be no. Somehow, somehow, we still have faith in a loving God, despite the times that we've had tragedy and loss and sorrow in our lives. And I've discovered that it's far more consoling to have a God who feels the pain with me, who longs for a better world than to have a MacGyver God who can just fix everything at the drop of a hat. Maybe that's me. But there's some kind of security in knowing that part of my life, I will still have struggles. And that, that God is not a Mr. Fix-It who, who leaves me in the lurch because he's having a fickle day. That's not the God that we worship. It would seem for Jesus, faith doesn't fix things as much as it gives the capacity and the courage for all of us to bear the unbearable. I, I wish that we could comprehend what it was like for that widow to, to willingly break the social norm and the law of the day to seek justice. But I'm ever so thankful that as a Western Christian, I don't. I don't have to know what it's like to do something that could really get me ostracized and maybe even imprisoned to ask for something that I need. Some situations are unworkable. They're stuck. They're full of poignant, imperfect suffering and stress. But I still trust that there are good things to come. I still have faith that in the end it will all be perfect. That I will see the perfection or the seemingly imperfect that I will meet the Son of Man. As long as people who are immersed in the dark nights of suffering dream rather than despair, I believe God acts justly. I don't know how often I've talked to you about one of my uh, favorite theologians. His name is St. John of the Cross. Has anybody ever heard of St. John of the Cross? He wrote a book called The Long Night of the Soul. It's actually a longer essay, not really a book. But in, in St. John of the Cross, his long night of the soul, he, he, he narrates the journey of the soul from its bodily home to its union with God. And the journey is called the dark night because darkness represents the hardships and difficulties that the soul meets in detachment from the world and in reaching the union with the Creator. There are several steps in this long night. And they're related in successive stanzas. The main idea of the poem can be the painful experience that people endure as they seek to grow in spiritual maturity 
and union with God. Now, I'm going to pause for a second. We're not Catholic, so we don't have the concept of the time between death and the time where we meet God, right? So we're not talking about that necessarily, uh, that, that paradigm there. But in this, in this work, <clears throat> the notion that we go from a physical manifestation of life into a place where only our souls exist, there is, there's mourning that takes place over this time period. And it's really about how all of the, the worries of the world, all of the physical manifestations of everything that we've ever hoped or dreamed or wanted, the greediness of our life, it literally is dying away and it's a journey as we go to meet God. The text was written in the late part of the 16th century, but it's still so fitting today. In fact, I think it becomes more and more fitting the, the more worldly we become as Christians. And I wonder, I wonder where our requests of God fall in that long night of the soul. Because our needs of a physical nature pale in comparison to our needs at the, the soul level, the metaphysical level, if you will. When we think about the desires of our heart on earth, how often I, I even jokingly will maybe even at time to time, like last Sunday, pray with the children for the Yankees to win, right? <laughs> I'm praying harder today that they win because it's an elimination day. But in the grand scheme of life, does that really matter? It matters not at all to any of you that aren't Yankees fans, right? But think about the things that we ask for on a regular basis that we want God to do for us. I remember distinctly praying when I was in college. I, I was late for an 8 o'clock class, 8 a.m., I don't know why I ever scheduled myself for an 8 a.m. class because I never wanted to be there at 8 a.m. But I remember leaving the house and praying, God, please let all the lights be green. Right? Are you for real? Like, I prayed for the Lord, the creator of the universe, to have all the lights be green. The message of St. John of the Cross is that there are steps toward justice and righteousness and peace and perfection. That through the long night of the soul, our soul is perfected in a way to meet God, the creator of the universe. And perhaps it's in that moment that the Lord will find my faith. As a reformed Christian, we believe, and I know I've said this before, every time that we take communion, every time that we celebrate the Eucharist, what we believe is happening is that we are taking those elements of communion with the Lord on the night that he was betrayed, with ourselves today, with every Christian who has ever taken communion, and with the saints in heaven. Somehow, mystically, we don't know 
but somehow God ties us together. And you may have picked up on this a time or two in the past, but I think the whole gospel rests on the notion that we are to love. If when we eat together and we pray together, what is it that's changing within us? How are we being different after this time of coming together, after this time of understanding that we've lifted petitions to our Lord and King, we've broken the bread together, the last thing that remains for us to accomplish is love. Jesus brings love into focus. And it frames pretty much, I hope, every message that I bring each week. Friends, we are to eat and pray and love together and understand that when we come into that time, that, that, that metaphysical time, that it's a respite from the dukkha of life. It's also a respite from the self-aggrandizement when we have the audacity to pray for the Yankees to win. So my prayer for all of us is to journey together through the dark night of the soul as we eat, as we pray, and as we love one another. May we do this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This time we'll continue our giving by the continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for the many gifts and blessings that you have given to us in this life. Lord, we have now returned a portion of these gifts to you, and we ask you, Lord, to help us as we figure out the best way to use them in this life. We say this in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. A few requests uh, to share with you today. Uh, Christina, our secretary's father, was rushed to the hospital uh, Thursday evening, I believe, um, because he fell and hit his head. Uh, he has been uh, in the emergency room the entire time. Uh, at least the last time I talked to her last evening, uh, they did put like a, a dividing curtain in his uh, in his room. But uh, they have also, in addition to his falling, they initially thought he might have a UTI. They think now he may actually, unfortunately, have cancer. Uh, he's 91, so please be in prayer uh, for Christina. Um, her, her significant other has been in the hospital uh, prior to this all happening, and she also found out that her brother-in-law um, has uh, another blockage in his heart, and he's already had six stents. To say that Christina's week has been troubling uh, is... is uh, just a minor statement, so please please be in, in prayer for them. Also, last night, Laurie let me know uh, Mr. Arthur is in the hospital with COVID, and I got to talk to his daughter yesterday. Um, he's just very weak, and he is sleeping quite a bit, so um, I'm hoping that within a few days I'll be able to go visit him in the hospital. He is at uh, Memorial, uh, so as the more that I find out about him, I'll, I'll pass that uh, to you as well. And also, Adam uh, requests prayer for his aunt, who has a blocked carotid and is having surgery on Wednesday. I'm certain that there are other concerns that rest with you. Uh, let us lift all of our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this life that we have. We thank you, Lord, for creation. We thank you, God, that you are the master of creation. We thank you, Lord, for all the gifts we have this time of year. The gift of seeing the leaves change color. The, the gift of the crispness in the air. God, we thank you for every aspect of our life that we sometimes take for granted. We thank you, Lord, that you extend to us a call to seek justice for the poor. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we may see where justice needs to take place. Guide us, Lord, to the widow, to the orphan. Allow us, Lord, to be ministers to those in need. We're thankful, Lord, for this nation where we have the freedom to gather and worship. We thank you, Lord, for the women and men who have historically fought to keep this nation and its freedoms free. We know, Lord, that those that we call veteran have seen and heard and experienced life differently than we could imagine. We ask God for those who are serving this day to be safe, that they may be able to see their loved ones soon. We pray also, Lord, for a day where there is no longer a need for a standing army or navy. God, where we are able to be peacekeepers and peacemakers, where we beat our swords into plowshares, and we have peace on earth. God, at the same time, we don't always understand this, but we 
recognize that you request us to pray for our enemies. And so we do so at the same time. We pray, Lord, for those who are in leadership over us. We pray for our president and the leaders of our nation. We pray for our state and local leaders that they would seek your still small voice. We pray, God, for the citizens of this country and in any country, Lord, who are dealing with the after effects of hurricanes. We pray, Lord, for those in Puerto Rico and Florida and Nicaragua. We pray, Lord, for those who are homeless. We pray, God, for those who hunger this day, that you would hear their prayer and provide for them the daily bread. While also, Lord, opening our eyes that we may see these needs and do something about them. We thank you, Lord, that we have the ability to approach you with our requests of this life, as tedious as they may be. God, we, we thank you that you intercede for us, that your spirit translates our requests, Lord. We pray, Lord, for those today who need to be healed. We pray to you as the great physician for healing to, uh, to take place. We pray, Lord, for the healers as well. We're thankful for those who have answered the call to the ministry of healing. We pray, Lord, for those who mourn. We pray, God, for those who are alone. God, because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. And in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you for sending your son to earth, that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, hymn number 469, Lord, listen to your children pray.
so I have a page that I follow online. It's, uh, it's a lectionary um, website, and, and one of the neat aspects of that is it has uh, sermon clippings. And so uh, after this specific pastor preaches a sermon, he lists the day after um, things that he cut out of his sermon. Uh, so you get to have one of my clippings, something that I tried to get into the sermon this week and couldn't get it to fit. I really love our Old Testament text that Holly read. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite texts from Genesis about a time when Jacob wrestles with God. And, and at first I was having difficulty tying that together with this notion of praying. But really when you kind of break the story down, you see that Jacob nags God as much as the widow nags the judge. And so as Jacob is wrestling with God, he wrestles all night long, and, and God can't really defeat Jacob. Jacob can't defeat God. And so initially there's this stalemate, and suddenly God reaches out and, and touches Jacob's hip and puts it out of place. And so the wrestling match stops. Uh, they take a breather, and Jacob says, I need to know your name. Why do you need to know my name? What's your name? Well, my name's Jacob. Well, no longer will your name be Jacob. Now it will be Israel. It forever changes the history of this people group that we call, that we call the Jewish people. They're, this is their father. This is the father of many nations. This is Jacob, the one that wrestled with God. But I, I want you to pay close attention to how that story kind of ends. Jacob wrestled with God but walked away limping. Jacob asked something of God, and Jacob was renamed. Friends, in our Christian walk, if our prayer life is not about us wrestling with God, we need to alter that. And after we've wrestled with God, if we are not walking away differently, we need to pray differently. Because God is constantly calling us to be changed. So please, let us pray without ceasing, but let us walk away limping. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.